Also bring you greetings from Stowe Mission. I'm currently serving as CEO there, but we have somebody that we're transitioning the leadership to. She's already doing it, but will be official January 1. And she was baptized in this church by Dr. Greg Cooper, Kelly Carlich. Came on a year ago, July. She's done a great job. Give the Lord a hand for that. So we thank God for everything that he's doing at Stowe Mission, Metro Columbus Baptist Association. We have four new church plants this year already. And we thank God for what he's doing here at First Baptist Groveport. But this morning, I want to focus on you. Not the church in general, not the body of Christ in general, not First Baptist Groveport, but you. So in your message notes, there's a question there, has a colon after it, and it says to write down what you want out of life. Write down what you want out of life. What is it you want God to do in your life, through your life, with your life? Write that down. Give you a couple minutes to do that. What do you want him to do? Another way of looking at it is, for you personally, what do you want to do, what do you want to be, and what do you want to have in the next 10 years? Write that down right there. All right, you got something? All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. So the Bible says, Acts, or uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you, if a son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction there are many who go in, it, go in by it, because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are a few who find it. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we yield ourselves to you today. We surrender ourselves to you. I pray that what we want you to do through our life is not inhibited by our own uh, backwardness, by our own hesitation, by our doubts about ourselves, by our own self-limiting beliefs but they, we will believe what you say about what it is that you want to do in our lives. So, Father, help us to pursue that and to see that in Jesus' name, and amen. So when I ask you to write down what you wanted God to do in your life, there's a reason for that, because he tells you to ask, and it will be given to you. You see, if you don't know what it is, <laughs> there's no way he's going to do it, or you won't even know if he does it right? A few weeks ago, about five weeks ago, my grandson, oldest grandson, had his 10th birthday party. So I asked him before his birthday what all grandparents would ask, what do you want for your birthday, right? So he said, a globe and a pair of tennis shoes. What do you think I got him? 
a globe, and a pair of tennis shoes. Now, what would have happened if two months before his birthday, what do you want for your birthday, Luke? Uh, how about a baseball glove? Then a week later, I asked him, Luke, what do you want for your birthday? Well, how about a football? And then another time I asked him, what do you want for your birthday? Well, I don't really know. But every time I asked him, what do you want for your birthday? A globe and a pair of tennis shoes. Most people I talk to don't even know what they want God to do. And if you don't know, there's no way to ask. What if he would ask for a globe and a pair of tennis shoes, and next time I asked him, he didn't even remember what he asked for? Why wouldn't get him a globe and a pair of tennis shoes? Or what if he would have said, well, uh, Papu, that's what they call me. It's, we had five generations alive in Tina's family when he was born. There's a lot of papals and granddad. and So Papu is the Greek word for grandfather. So I pulled that one out there, and so that's what I go by. Uh, if he would have said, Papu, just get me whatever you want to get me. Well, I probably would have gotten him something that I like, right? How would I have known? Now, God knows, but his question is, do you know? What do you want God to do with your life? Are you living a successful life? You'll never know unless you define what success is. What does it mean to have a significant life? If you can't answer that question, you don't know if he's going to answer it. And you don't even know what that looks like. So there's a promise associated with that. It's ask and it will be given to you. There are a lot of things I ask God and I write them down and I ask him over and over and over and over again. And this morning, as I was looking back at those, I can see throughout this year that God did that in a way that I never could have foreseen. One of those happened in the last week. Unbelievable. But if I never had written it down, I never would have seen that God answered it. And that gives me encouragement to ask for bigger things, more impacting things, more significant things. But if it's just, uh, Lord, help me today, through the day, and bless all the people, and there's no clarity there. There's no focus there. And verse 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. So what are you asking for? Dr. Gail Matthews at Dominican University of California, a secular university, it's not a Christian, but even with them, she says through studies that you are 43% more likely to achieve a goal if you write it down. The Bible says you're 100% more likely to achieve a goal if you pray for it. I was speaking at a church recently and talking to them about this kind of thing. So the senior pastor pulled out a sheet of paper that he wrote probably 12, 15 years ago about they wanted to have a worldwide missions impact, right? That they wanted to have 1,500 people worshiping on a regular basis, just things like And they're doing all of those things. They're in 11 different countries regularly. They're in seven places in the U.S. regularly and four local ministries down in North Carolina. He, he wrote it down and never even looked at it again, but God used that. What do you want God to do in your life? Are you afraid to write it down? Are you afraid to write it down because God is small right? or because God can't deliver or because you doubt God? Nothing, none of those has anything to do with God himself. God is not the one who limits your dreams. God is not the one who holds you back. Rich Halcombe's biggest limiting factor is between his two ears. The Bible says, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that definitely means the way you think about sin and the way you think about church, but that also means the way you think about yourself. The thing that limits me the most are my self-limiting beliefs, the things that I believe that somebody told me somewhere along the way, things like, you're stupid, you know that, don't you? Or how in the world could you ever do something like that? Why would you try to do something like that? Nobody's ever done that before. What makes you think you can do that? Do you hear those voices in your head? Yeah. Whose voice is that? It's not God's voice. Might have been your father or a school teacher or a coach or a principal or somebody that put the beat down on you. Maybe they thought they were helping. They weren't helping. What does God say? What does God want? So the Bible says, number one, ask God for it. Now, there are things I ask God for that after I'm praying for a while, I think maybe I shouldn't ask for that, so I quit asking for that. He directs my thinking in that. But it's Him directing it, not me directing it. Over in Psalm chapter 37, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, there's a precursor to that. You have to delight yourself in the Lord. So if I'm living full out, totally surrendered as far as I know to God, and then he puts something in my head that he wants me to do, I go chase it. That's it. I remember talking to a lady who was working as an administrative assistant. It was in the associational office years ago when I was here before, probably 25, 30 years ago now. So she had talked about being a nurse for several years, for like 10 years, right? So, uh, and I'd kind of heard her say that off and on. So I was in an office one day and said, so what do you want to do? I'd, I'd love to be a nurse. Okay. I said, um, so call the local, you know, one of those nursing schools, call the regist- registrar and sign up. She said, well, shouldn't I pray about it? No. No. God's been telling you for 10 years, Right? You're not waiting on him. He's waiting on you. How many guys my age? Well, I feel like maybe God's calling me to ministry. Uh, how long have you been thinking about 10 years? What should I do? Well, you should have done it 10 years ago. Now, you can do it now. Great. Can't go back. Let's not second-guess ourselves, but you need to lean into it. The second thing he tells us is to search for it. So too many people I run into, they pray for it, Lord, do this, and then they sit there on their hands kind of waiting for something to happen. How many times has that happened? You know, I, I knew God had called me to the ministry about age 12 years old, right? So I went to school a lot. I was adding it up this morning. I've, I've gone to 28 different trainings or conferences in the 20, 31 years, some of them multiple years. Why? I needed a whole lot more help than other people right? I don't know all that stuff. I got to figure it out. But it says to search for it. It doesn't say wait for it. Where do we get that idea? There's an author that I like a lot, Theodore Seuss Geisel. You may know him as Dr. Seuss, one of my favorite (laughs) authors, very prolific. So here's what he says in Oh, the Places You'll Go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. 
You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang, and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump, and the chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. You'll come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're dark. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare to go out? Do you dare to stay in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right, or right in three quarters, or maybe not quite? Or go around back and sneak him from behind. Simple it's not, I'm afraid you'll find, for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. You can get so confused that you'll start in a race down a long wiggled roads at a breaknecking place and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space, headed, I fear, for a most useless place, the waiting place, for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone's just waiting waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone's just waiting. No, that's not for you. What are you waiting for? Is God slow to accomplish His promise? No. Now, there is God's timing, right? Sometimes you know you have clarity on what it is he wants you to do, and you're not sure what that'll look like. But he then is either working on the person or he's working on the place, or maybe both. But even when you're in that, you're not waiting, you're pursuing, right? You're chasing. So in our lives, before we get saved, God chases us. Have you experienced that? When God was after you? And then after you get saved and you walk with God, somehow it reverses and you have to chase him. And I can tell you in my life, there have been so many times where I did not know what to do. I remember being senior staff, one of the largest churches in America. We were in this transition around the table, the senior staff, about four of us. And to a man, we said, we don't know what to do. For that big idea, right? Finally figured it out. But in the meantime, we're working everything we can work to get there. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 2, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So search for it. God's looking for people who are searching. We have way too many waiters and not enough wanters, not enough people pursuing it, not enough people going after it. So here it describes wisdom as a treasure. Has anybody ever seen the show Gold Rush? Ever seen that? Yeah. 
So you got these guys that moved to Alaska, to Klondike, out in the middle of nowhere, freezing, go in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy all this equipment and work all season long in these horrible conditions. They don't even know what they're doing. So at the end of the season, they come up with a jar of gold. That's it. And then they moved to some jungle out in somewhere, you know, Guyana, down South America. All of that stuff for this. And you're telling me you're not willing to put forth the effort for something that's far grander for God's plan for your life? Ask God for it, but don't just ask for it. Search for it. And then number three, knock down the door to get it. Beat it down. I grew up in abject poverty. Some of you know that. Grew up, had four younger brothers, youngest two special needs. We're on food stamps. You know, my dad worked two jobs, self-employed, got hurt, unemployed, church helping us. Terrible, right? Nobody had ever gone to college. Uh, so I went to college, went on to seminary, was there, didn't eat for a week because we didn't have any money, worked my way through that thing. So then I decided God wanted me to get a doctorate, but we didn't have money for that. So at that time, Boyce College was doing... Um, a campus around here is down at Grove City, Highland Baptist Church in their Deaf Chapel. So I taught for 13 weeks, three hours every Thursday night. Thursday was my only day off during the week. I studied all day Thursday, taught three hours Thursday night for 13 weeks to get $1,000. And what I did with that $1,000, I paid for my first doctoral seminar. I was after it, right? Didn't wait for a check, didn't hope something would fly in. I'm going to bust my chops to do what I need to do to take me to that first step. What's going to happen after that? I don't know, but I know I'm working it. And he tells us that. Knock down the door to get it. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, speaking of Jesus. And he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart, saying there was, a cert there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city. She came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Bonnie Floyd pastored an incredible church in northwest Arkansas. Every 9,500 every Sunday, five different camps. Isn't that unbelievable? I was reading through part of his book on prayer. He had done a 40-day fast five times. Now, is he getting after it? Absolutely. We say, well, I can't do that. So you're right. But is that what God's saying? What are you willing to give up so that God can do whatever he wants to do in your life? You know what the answer should be? Absolutely everything. Everything. My career, my house, whatever else, stuff, 
money, people. Because when you see God use somebody, it's because they've done those things, usually. I mean, there are some exceptions to that, right? But you never know what goes on in the heart of somebody that God is using mightily. And here in Matthew 7, verse 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, we give him a stone? To my grandson, globe, and a pair of tennis shoes. So what am I going to do? Now here's a, here's a loaf of bread. Right? Or here's a rock. Or here's a snow globe. I'm going to do within my power, if I'm able, and I was, to buy him a globe and a pair of tennis shoes. You're God's child. He wants, he wants to give it to you. He wants you to have it. But more than that, he wants you to become the kind of person that he can use to have it. That's the point of the exercise. It's not just a thing. It's who you have to become in the development of achieving that thing, and then God can use you far beyond anything that you ask or think. What the Bible says, Ephesians 2.10, exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. So, ask God for it, search for it, and knock down the door to get it. So then it's interesting, on the tail end of that, he talks about what we call the golden rule. Now, in our society today, they have a golden rule. Their golden rule is, he who has the gold makes the rules. (laughs) That's not the golden rule. According to God, he says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Do you see the connection there? If if I'm asking God for it, if I'm searching for it, if I'm knocking down the door to get it, part of that will be treating others the way that I want God to treat me. As a matter of fact, he states that clearly in the great commandment. Lawyer, you're asking what is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it, love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first part of those deal with our relationship to God then our relationship to others. Well, here, again, in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, relationship with God, relationship with others. So here's how it says that we should interact with others. Christian Standard Bible says, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. New American Standard says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Contemporary English version, which I like, that version was written to be heard out loud, not just read. That says, Treat others as you want them to treat you. This is what the law and prophets are all about. So what does that tell us? It tells us the golden rule is first positional. Positional. You see, it says, Do unto others what you would have others do unto you. In other words, if I put myself in that guy's place, what would I want? Positional. It's not looking at it from my perspective. It's looking at it from the other person's perspective. Remember years ago when my kids were still living at home, my son Richard was out mowing the grass, hot day, sweating out there. And I'm thinking, if I were him, what would I like? I'd like a big old glass of sweet iced tea. So, got a cup put him some ice, put him some tea, walked out in the yard, handed it to him. What does your husband want from you? 
What does your wife need from you? Why don't nobody's asking you? <laughs> what do your children need from you? Sometimes it's just for you to be there, not just physically, but also emotionally. My daughter's son-in-law sold her house. They're living with us for a while. They're building another house. Some of you know I have two grandsons. One's a 10-year-old, one's a 5-year-old. The 5-year-old is an electric wheelchair, can't walk, has a spinal muscular atrophy type 2. They're building a house. They did real well in their house because of the economy, building a house where Eli can get around. So, so Luke 10, Eli 5, their favorite thing to do is go in the basement and wrestle, right? Wrestle. So Eli's wrestling name is Mr. Awesome. Luke's wrestling name is Triple M. He's, uh, I'm going to call it Triple B, but a monster with a magnificent mind, very bright, and the kid's a hoss, man. <laughs> he calls it trucking you. Have you heard that? Trying to trucking me over? <laughs> yeah, that's one. So Eli... Can't lift his arms, can't throw a ball, carry him around. He wants, what he likes is putting him on the ground on the carpet there. Uh, so, you know, a dog pile, everybody piles on. Well, he calls a pile of dogs, right? So he wants a pile of dogs, right? So we get on, wrestle around, and that's what those guys want. What do your kids want? Now, do I feel like going doing pile of dogs? No. Am I working all day and tired and just want to sit there and veg out with Netflix or sit on the back porch and watch the grass grow? A lot of days, that's what I'd like to, after all the stuff, right? But God doesn't ask you, what do you want? He doesn't ask you, what do you need? How do you feel? Are you tired today? Whatever they would want. You do for them. So it's positional. The same way with what we say to people. You ever heard the expression, well, I'm just giving him a hard time? You heard that? How many of you, I want to see a show of hands here, how many of you need a hard time? Right? Yeah. Okay, one. Life's not hard enough, right? There's not enough. I need somebody to bust my chops. Nobody. They don't need it either. So instead of making some kind of comment about it that's kind of sarcastic or put downish, say something nice. Right? Oh, look what the cat drug in compared to, man, you look great today. Give me the you look great today. How many would rather have you look great today than look what the cat drug in? Right? What is going on? Why do we do that? We do that and we're not fulfilling the golden rule. Notice also it's positive. It says do. It doesn't say don't do. A lot of us interpret this like, well, I don't want anybody to smack me in the head, so I'm not going to smack him in the head. It's not, it doesn't say don't do it. It says do it. You have to take the initiative, right? So whatever you want them to do for you, you go do for them. It's not that I don't want anybody messing with me, so I won't mess with them. See, that's in the negative. I, I, what I won't do because they won't know. It says to do it, to act to initiate it, to be proactive and doing to them, for them, whatever it is that they need at the moment. You take the lead. You don't need to feel led. You just need to do it. When you know what they want, go do it. You don't need a voice when you have a verse. This is the verse. Christianity is an active religion. 
Notice it doesn't say, what are you thinking? Or what do you believe? Or how do you feel about it? It just says, do it. Just go ahead and do it. The want to be nursed, should I pray about it? No, God's been telling you for 10 years, just go do it. We often wait too long until it's almost too late. Christ died. He didn't pontificate about it. He didn't describe the problem. He didn't propose a solution. He did it. A mechanic gets his hands dirty. If you don't, you're not a mechanic. <laughs> My dad, who was one, talk about guys that could tell you in the book what the book said, but if you can't fix the engines, if you can't, if you can't pull the wheel, you're not a mechanic. A surgeon wields the scalpel. Doesn't just study it, does it. A plumber uses a wrench to stop the leaks in the pipes. A Christian asks, seeks, knocks, and does. I notice finally here that the golden rule is comprehensive. It says here, for this is the law and the prophets. So during Jesus' day in the New Testament, the only scripture they had was the Old Testament. And one way of describing the Old Testament was the law and the prophets. So the law are the first five books, the books of Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the rest of those they called the prophets. Now sometimes in the New Testament I'll call it the law, the prophets, and the writings. So whether it's the law and the prophets or law and prophets writings, what they mean is all of Scripture. So Jesus is saying, when you do this, you fulfill all the Scripture. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What do people want you to do for them? If you had the solution to their biggest problem, wouldn't, you want, wouldn't they want you to tell them? If you had a problem, this kind of overwhelming problem that you can't even define, and you don't even know how to clearly state the problem, so you really don't know what the solution is, but then there's a friend of yours that has the solution, wouldn't you want them to tell you? Yeah. But one aspect of that is salvation. So we as a body of believers have the answer that the only way to get from this life to the next life with Christ is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one way in, and that's through Jesus. We confess our sins, repent of our sins, and trust Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We're walking around out there with the answer, but God wants us to be proactive in sharing that answer with somebody else. Now, if they don't want to do it, that's on them. If I don't tell them, that's on me. Part of the golden rule to tell them what it is that can give them life and wealth. And I don't mean money. I mean more important than that, and a future. Then verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad, at least to destruction, and there are many who enter into it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. I've assumed some things this morning, mainly that you have already trusted Christ. Right? If you haven't, the, the first thing that you need, Jesus was talking to his disciples here, right? Went to a big crowd. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, he sat down, his disciples came to them, and he taught them, saying, and you have a sermon on the mount. Technically, it's a teaching on the mount, according to that verse. Um, but if you haven't trusted Christ, that's the first step. 
So if some kid in the neighborhood came up to me and said, hey, Papu, I want a globe and a pair of tennis shoes for my birthday, would I get that kid a globe and a pair of tennis shoes? I don't know. I'm less likely to do that than I am for my grandson, right? Because he belongs to me. So for you, when you trust God and become his child, you're his child. He wants to shower you with all good things. And the best of those is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So do you know what you want out of this life? You say, well, I'm too old for that. Not if you're still breathing. Right? Not if you're still here. I'm not talking about what went before. I'm talking about what comes after today. What do you want God to do? What do you want to be? What do you want to have? And him to use you in ways beyond what you can imagine. I'd like for you to stand with me and to bow your head. Close your eyes. Father, I know for me that I believe you want me to help leaders achieve kingdom results personally, interpersonally, and organizationally. And I pray that most every day. And the things I'm doing with Stowe Mission, Metro Columbus Baptist Association, Leader Increase, all fall within that. So Lord, I pray for clarity this morning. I know there's, uh, for me, there was a lot of fear I had to overcome before I had I could even admit as to what you wanted to do, because if I admit it, and even more so if I write it down, then that's a commitment to it, and then if I don't do it, it becomes all too obvious that I'm not doing it. But if I don't, it's not going to happen. So I pray for those here. I pray they would ask, they would seek, and they would knock, and first delight themselves in you. As we sing this morning, Lord, I know you're already working in people's hearts. You've already worked through mine this morning uh, to become even more clear. But help them to step out in faith. It may mean stepping out from the pew to come forward to trust you, but it may mean them stepping outside of their own self-limiting beliefs that I can't or I won't or I shouldn't or it's too late or whatever. But help them to get clear enough to be able to ask you and then be amazed at all that you do through their lives because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing. We invite you to come to the front. There's a great church to be a part of if you want to accept Christ or join fellowship here. Um, ask you to do that.